0: Today's episode is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people on the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past
1: decade, DB has designed and developed, released, and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. I think this is pretty cool because I know if there are times when I have to carry a bunch of stuff through the airport, when I have to yeah, try and get my purse or my other bag over like the arm thing for my rolling bag, You always have to like pray that it's not going to like go around the handle and then you end up like tripping over it (laughs) as you're like pulling it behind you.
0: We are teaming up with DB to exclusively offer our listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10 or going to the link in our show notes. That's POD10.
1: DB, it's time to move on. Time to get going. The Oracle Network. and welcome to Ye Olde Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hello. I see your
0: setup is coming along very nicely.
1: Yes. My office is about, I'm going to say 90% complete. Nice. I still have some shelves I want to put up. I need to organize the work aspect Of my office, you know, for my job, not just the podcast. (laughs) You mean our job isn't just the podcast yet? I know. That's the dream, but not a reality. That would be cool. It would be cool. I
0: don't know if people want to hear us talk that often, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) But yeah. And I'm very proud of myself because I I had to replace the curtain rods and I hung them up all by myself. Nice. With the power tool and everything. Your
0: birthday cat clock is in the back.
1: It is. But the funny thing is, the magnet that makes the tail and the eyes move is so weak that it actually isn't doing anything. Oh, no. But I'm actually cool with it because I'm sure the ticking would have been picked up by the mic in the Mm. background. So it's actually fine. Okay. I may fiddle with it in the future, but as of this point in time, I don't care. That's fair. So.
0: I'm excited to create my room my new office space, which will be next week.
1: So before we dive into this week's episode, I need to apologize Uh for last week's audio quality. It was the first time that I was recording in my new office. I didn't have the audio on my end set up properly, so it sounded really echoey and a little condensed. But thanks to my husband, Thomas, who was like, you sounded like garbage. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Let's fix your settings. I think I've perfected my setup now. So hopefully the audio quality will be much better moving forward. So sorry for the potato cam in your ear holes.
0: Well, mine is always trash. So joke's on you. (laughs) Well, and when you
1: move, I can help you set up your setup too. So it's
0: no, it has to stay trash. We have to be on brand. (laughs) We must be on brand. They'll be like, what funny thing did Madison say? We don't know. Because it's... (laughs) (laughs) We're
1: 65 episodes in. We're committed to our trash quality. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you haven't left yet, you like it. Admit it. Yep. It's just basically a running joke at this point in time. Yeah. So this week is starting our September episodes. That's
0: bananas.
1: So we are no longer in our birthday month. Sad day. Is this pre-spoopy? This is pre spoopy. We're not going to be doing spoopy until October, but the entire month of October, we will be doing spoopy stories. Oh, I'm so excited. So stay tuned. Don't We're leave wolf now.
0: For mitzvah. Spooky, Spooky story. story. Boys, Boys become men. Yeah. Men become men. become
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh, I can't wait. That's going to be in every
1: episode. So don't sue prepare us. yourselves for dumb 30 rock jokes don't sue us 30 rock i'm so sorry yeah please please don't it was less than 30 seconds so i think we're clear i think if it's under a Is minute that you're the good. Thing? i think if it's under a minute you're good Ooh, i'll double check copyright law
0: right because <laughs> all of a sudden you hear what
1: <laughs> we just get cut off
0: you don't even get the werewolf and then i
1: insert it later in the episode with no context whatsoever yep perfect all right, so what are we talking about today? We are going to be discussing Okichi, the geisha. Like a murder geisha? Not a murder geisha. You'll see. Oh, dang. I was like, ooh, murder geisha. <laughs> <laughs> She's deadly beautiful. He's
0: your tea with a side
1: of blood. <laughs> <laughs> with a dash of arsenic. Nice. All right. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2016 WordPress blog post by Brian Camp a 2015 Tsunagu Japan article, 2014 Japan travel article by Yoshiko Toyama, the Consulate General of Japan in New York website, Hamadayama Life website, Japan Digital Theater Archives, Old Tokyo, and there's five different sources from Wikipedia. Dang. So, went real deep on this one. Nice. That's what he said. (laughs) 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 <laughs> Sex joke. And links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. Today, Japan is a bustling nation of industry that welcomes travelers from all over the world, or at least it did pre-COVID. I don't want to assume now that that's the case still. They're
0: like, Go home. Hiss boo.
1: <laughs> I said good day. You can get Hello Kitty on Amazon. Get out. But it once was a land of seclusion, and it wasn't until the tail end of the Edo era that it started to open its doors to the outside world. Mm -hmm. The heroine of today's tale is a woman named Okichi, and the setting is the city of Shimoda. Shimoda is located in the Shizuoka Prefecture on the southeastern Izu Peninsula. It's famous for its hot springs and busy port. Ooh. It's also a place of historical significance as the site of the Ryozenji Temple, where the Kanagawa Treaty was signed. Impressive. American trade with the country of Japan was negotiated by Commodore Matthew Perry on March 31st, 1854. Was this before he
0: joined Friends?
1: Yes, it was before he joined Friends.
0: Nice. Why did call Matt Perry? I
1: know. <laughs> you go. You go, Matt Perry. <laughs> This treaty, known as the Japan-U.S. Treaty of Peace and Amity, or the Convention of Kanagawa, was signed by Commodore Perry and Hayashi Akira on behalf of Emperor Komei. The treaty consisted of 12 articles that are as follows. Mutual peace between the United States and the Empire of Japan. Mm -hmm. Opening of the ports of Shimoda and Hakodate. Mm -hmm. Assistance to be provided to shipwrecked American sailors. Nice. Shipwrecked sailors not to be imprisoned or mistreated. Okay, good. (laughs) Freedom of movement for temporary foreign residents in treaty ports with limitations. So like an asterisk. Uh Trade transactions to be permitted. Okay. Currency exchange to facilitate any trade transaction to be allowed. Mm -hmm. Provisioning of American ships to be a Japanese government monopoly. Japan to give the United States any favorable advantages, which might be negotiated by Japan with any other foreign government in the future. So basically making sure that we get the same trade rights as any other country with Japan. Okay. Forbidding the United States from using any other ports aside from Shimoda and Hakodate. Fine. (laughs) Opening of an American consulate at Shimoda. Okay. And the treaty was to be ratified within 18 months of signing.
0: That's a long time.
1: This treaty and trade negotiation wasn't something that just developed overnight. As you can imagine, it's something that was done by force. (laughs) We don't do that. No.
0: Never not once.
1: I won't go into a ton of details, but I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version before we begin our tale as we need it for context. Okay. So at the beginning of the 17th century, the Tokugawa shogunate who were the militaristic government of Japan during the Edo period, set out to isolate the country from outside influence and maintain this stance with few exceptions. Foreign trade was allowed with the Dutch and the Chinese and only conducted in the city of Nagasaki to maintain that control.
0: Interesting. Why the
1: Dutch? Yeah, the Dutch. Why? I don't know, but apparently they were really tight with the Dutch.
0: So specific.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe their mutual love of wooden shoes. Maybe. Even though today this practice may sound a bit extreme, this period of time in Japan was one of relative peace and social stability as a result. Nice. Commercial development was on the rise, as well as literacy within the nation. Also very important. Good on them. Mm-hmm. The reason for this iron grip on outside influence was for two major reasons to halt the spread of Christianity. <laughs> They got us. (laughs) And to prevent all out war with foreign bodies. I hope that Christianity was the first one. I know. Don't want it. Get out. (laughs) I read that and laughed so hard. By the time the 19th century rolled around, this policy of extreme isolation was being challenged regularly by outside forces. For example, King William II of the Netherlands sent a letter in 1844 urging the Japanese government to end their self-imposed isolation before they were forced to do so by outsiders.
0: That's a fun, kind
1: threat. It's a bit of foreshadowing.
0: Yeah. They're like, listen, we'd hate to have something bad happen to your country by a lot of people. We're just looking out for you, bro. Just let our Trojan horse full of ministers come into your country. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you don't have to say yes. You just need to let him in, all right? Yep. In 1846, Commodore James Biddle led an American expedition to Japan in an effort to secure trade rights with the island nation, but he was promptly sent away.
0: <laughs> do you wonder if they do you wonder if they like were like no and started throwing rocks or something? <laughs> Get out of here. They didn't have any megaphones or anything, so they're just like shouting and throwing rocks.
1: We just had, like, the Japanese equivalent of Gandalf, and they were just like,
0: you shall not pass. Just throwing shit at them. Here's your trade. Rotten fish.
1: Get fucked. (laughs) Well, incoming president Millard Fillmore was like... Nah, this is happening. And before he ended his term in 1853, he ordered United States Navy Commodore Matthew C. Perry to take a fleet of warships to Japan to force them to open their ports to American trade.
0: I mean, it was a good idea to enlist one of the original friends yep. to create a friendship. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't love Chandler Bing? I mean, Chandler Bong right, makes good treaties, you know? We he never does. knew his job, so maybe this was
1: his actual job. <laughs> He was actually a Commodore. <laughs> he was a Commodore. <laughs>
0: it's like, is that why he has all these like Japanese inspired things in his apartment?
1: Yeah. That's why they had that canoe for so long in their apartment. Just right. reminded him of his past. And all checks out. That dog reminded him of like the Chinese watercress dog. Oh, yeah. The water dragon.
0: Isn't there, don't they have like a really beautiful, sleek dog like that? Like a greyhound like dog? in japan maybe i'm going crazy
1: i don't think they have greyhounds they have like the well no but like that
0: kind of like figure you know like the noodle
1: noodle dog (laughs) they have water dragons that looks kind of that could look kind of like a greyhound okay yeah because that dog the dog in the the statue looked like a greyhound it was very sleek yes at this time, America was already actively trading with China, not to mention whaling off the coast of Japan. And Ooh. like any good Christians, they hope to share the benefits of Western civilization with the backward Asian nation and others like it. Ouch. Yeah. Help us help you, nerds, losers. <laughs> yeah. Commodore Perry arrived at Edo Bay on July 8th, 1853 with four warships and refused to travel to Nagasaki, where all foreign trade was conducted. In fact, he threatened to sail further inland to Edo, which was the capital of Japan, and raise it to the ground. So
0: So it's like, play with me or I'm going to punch you in the face and burn your house down.
1: (laughs) Yep. It was only after this threat that he was allowed to dock at Kurehama or Uraga, on July 14th to deliver a letter from President Fillmore. Okay. The shogunate were unsure what to do, especially after Commodore Perry had his warships fire into the water of the bay. Rude. To just kind of be like, look at how big our dicks are! <laughs> pew, pew, pew! pew, pew Got you pew. fish! At some point, the Commodore and his fleet departed, but he returned on February 11th, 1854, with twice the number of warships, and refused to leave until a treaty of some sort was signed.
0: Nice. Just in time for Valentine's Day.
1: Yep. I brought you something. It's warships. (laughs) Please be my Valentine. I love you. Please, come take my aggression. (laughs) Yep. I brought you eight shiny black warships. Poorly veiled threats. Negotiations began on March 8th, 1854 and took about a month. Commodore Perry wanted to create a treaty similar to the ones that were utilized by the Chinese and the Dutch, but he adamantly refused to have Nagasaki as their trade port alongside the other foreign powers. So he wanted to be special. Yep. So essentially, we pointed a bunch of guns at them and forced them to allow us to trade goods with them and allow us to set up shop, whether they wanted us to or not, thus ending 220 years of isolation with the Western world.
0: Yeah, that sucks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm to think
0: of anything. It's like, no. Yeah,
1: there's no, no real way to come back with that. It's
0: like a nightmare neighbor. Jeez.
1: So now that that's been established, we can continue with our story. So in July of eighteen fifty six, Consul General Townsend Harris arrived in Shimoda to enforce the Japan US Treaty of Peace and Amity. Townsend set up the first American consulate in Japan in Goku Senji Temple in Kakizaki on August twenty sixth with his Dutch interpreter, Henry C. J. Huskin, by his side.
0: Wait, so there was a Dutch interpreter that was able to do English to Japanese and vice versa?
1: Yep. Nice. I mean, because they've been trading with them for how long before we got there. So, yeah, we employed a Dutch translator. Nice. A quote from Harris's journal dated Thursday, September 4th, 1856, details events as follows. Quote, slept very little from excitement and mosquitoes, the latter enormous in size. That's a universal thing, apparently.
0: He's like, I was really excited, but not as excited as those mosquitoes were to get my blood. (laughs)
1: Gross. (laughs) (laughs) Terrifying. At 7 a.m., men came on shore to put up my flagstaff. Heavy job. Slow work. Spar falls. Break cross trees. Fortunately, no one hurt. At last, get a reinforcement from the ship. Flagstaff erected. Men form a ring around it. And at two and a half p.m. of this day, I hoist the first consular flag ever seen in this empire. Grim reflections, ominous of change, undoubted beginning of the end. Query, if for the real good of Japan, the San Jacinto left at five o'clock, saluting me by dipping her flag, which was answered by me. End quote.
0: So at least he kind of felt bad about it. Yeah. He was like, yeah, we did it. And that's really great. But like, this kind of sucks for them.
1: Yeah after the flag had been raised in shimoda townsend was quoted as saying quote, "god grant that the future generations may not have cause to regret the hour i arrived" End quote.
0: i hate to break this to you <laughs> <laughs> but like there are many times where they do
1: townsend harris was born in sandy hill new york now known as hudson falls in 1804 where later in life he became a successful merchant and worked as an importer of goods from china he was also very active in politics and in 1846 became the head of the New York City Board of Education. Awesome. And he served as its president for two years.
0: That feels a little left field, but okay.
1: hmm
0: Like, I'm a merchant. Now education. Yeah, wait, what?
1: <laughs> Did you buy it? He also helped found the Free Academy, which was a college open to any and all New Yorkers wishing to get an education, regardless of if you were an immigrant or poor. Hey. It still stands today and is now known as the College of the City of New York or simply City College.
0: Okay. It's not free anymore, though, is it? I don't think it's it's free anymore. Definitely not free. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) No college is free, kids. Sorry. (laughs) Right. Townsend was appointed the Consul General to Tokugawa, Japan by President Franklin Pierce in 1855. The position was one that Townsend applied for himself due to his experience trading with China and his interest in experiencing the Japanese culture. Yeah, good reason. Upon his arrival, he demanded to be treated as any envoy would and refused to deliver the letter from President Pierce to anyone but the shogun himself in Edo. Okay. And for those who don't understand what a shogun is, the shogun is essentially a military leader that is appointed by the emperor and reports to him directly.
0: Okay, so it's basically the... Like any of our president's cabinet members. Yeah.
1: So you can kind of think of them as like the secretary of defense for the president of the United States. Got it.
0: Wow. That's, that's, pretty, that's a tall order. Where yeah. is he? <laughs> Take me to your leader. He's not around the block. Get him here. No. They didn't have those speed trains either.
1: No, they didn't have the bullet trains yet. Not yet. It was very hard for Townsend to secure an audience with the shogun. And for the first year that he lived in Gyokusenji Temple, he would spend his days taking long walks through the countryside, caring for his cherry trees, planting potatoes, and raising his chickens and hogs. So he had a terrible life, is what you're saying? He he suffered greatly.
0: Apparently, he's like living a real-life version of Stardew Valley. So he's fine.
1: He's fine. (laughs) He had a deep love and respect for the Japanese people and often remarked on his enjoyment of meeting people from all walks of life.
0: That's very nice.
1: It took 18 months of negotiations, but Townsend was finally granted an audience with the shogun in the palace. Four months after that, the Treaty of Amity and Commerce was successfully negotiated and signed on July 19th, 1858, securing trade between Japan and the United States.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
1: And it is at this point that Okichi returns to our story. Got it. Okichi was born Saito Kichi on November 10th, 1841 to Ichibe and Kiwa Saito. She was the second daughter and grew up in Sakashita town, Shimoda, in the Kamo district. She also had a younger brother named Sogoro. In 1847, at the age of seven, Okichi was adopted by the family of Sen Muriyama, who was once a mistress of the lord of Kawazu Shogun Mukai.
0: So she had some money then, potentially, being that mistress.
1: So this mistress was was once favored by the then shogun. Yes. While she lived with them, Okichi was taught the ways and arts of the geisha. So I'm going to pause right here. To clarify what a geisha is, as there are many misconceptions on what a geisha actually does. Yes. Geisha are performers in the sense that they would be hired to entertain guests traditionally at a ryote, which is a high class Japanese restaurant that has a number of private rooms. Okay. So geisha would be hired to dance, sing, and play music, but they would also lead the tea ceremony if there was a special like tea service that was being served. Okay. Geisha could only be hired if you went to an okaya and unless they were requested by name the customer would never actually see the geisha's face until their scheduled meeting.
0: Okay. So you couldn't you couldn't be picky like I want that one.
1: Correct. You couldn't be like that's that. the one I want. Yes, unless you knew of them by name. Got it. Geisha are not sex workers. No although some would develop sexual relationships with their donna, who are wealthy men that would pay for the geisha's expenses. Geisha are often confused with oiran, who dress similarly and are high-class sex workers.
0: Okay, so that's just kind of outward, like foreigners not understanding the difference.
1: Yeah, there's, a, I mean, I could also go into the difference between a geisha and a maiko. But a Maiko is basically someone who is training to become a geisha. They look very similar. Like they still use the white facial makeup. Mm -hmm. They still use the red decorations on their lips. Actually, I was reading that part of the reason they would cover their faces with this white paint was for beauty. But also it was lead-based paint. So after a time, it would like give them really bad like facial acne and blemishes and stuff. They had to keep using it.
0: Lead on your face. But so many, I mean, so many centuries of of women did that. Like, Mm -hmm. it was so common. It's not just them.
1: Well, not only that, but apparently another standard of beauty was that they would blacken their teeth. Oh, black teeth. I don't know why, but apparently that was also something. I don't know. It's weird. strange. Back to Okichi. So due to her natural beauty and lyrical voice, Okichi quickly gained a high reputation and officially entered into geisha society at the age of 14.
0: Oh, okay.
1: But just remember, she was an entertainer, not not a sex worker. But 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 yes, I get it. I get it.
0: Small teen girls performing. Yeah. Is she? Okay.
1: On November 1st, 1854, A huge earthquake hit near Shimoda that created a tidal wave that swept through the area. As a result of this, Okichi lost everything. Her childhood friend, Surumatsu, who was a ship carpenter at the time of the disaster, took care of her and the pair soon fell in love. At the time that Townsend Harris arrived and set up the consul in Goku Senji Temple, the shogunate hired Okichi to come to the temple to entertain Townsend with the intention of having her serve him. It was their hope that she would help smooth relations, as it were, between Japan and the United States.
0: Okay, so they're hoping she'll just kind of schmooze and be cute and make him feel better.
1: Yep, appeal to his Western male virility or whatever. Okay. Use her feminine wiles on him. She's older,
0: hopefully, we assume.
1: So this would have been in 1856. She would have been 15.
0: No. Okay. Okay. Fine. A
1: quote from an article in the July 1st, 2003 edition of the Japan Times describes this transaction as follows, quote, Mendacity was part and parcel of the town's two governors, Inao, Lord of Shinano, and Okada who was Lord of Bingo, temporizing. They intended to keep the consul in Shimoda, sans a revised treaty. Harris, failing to receive satisfactory answers to inquiries about treaty revision, wrote letters to the Minister of Foreign Affairs requesting arrangements to be made to receive him at Edo. So this is when they were like, oh, you can't go and see the Shogun, where they're trying to like keep him in Shimoda. And he was like, no. He was like, God damn it, I have this letter from the president that I need to take to the shogun. The governors, with their necks on the line if they failed to keep Harris in Shimoda, faded him at their private residence on February 24th in an attempt to soften his attitude. The Lord of Bingo even offered to provide the American with a woman. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) You
0: can't take the letter to the shogun. Look at this lady. Isn't she pretty?
1: Ah. Ladies. Harris declined the offer, noting in his journal, quote, the lubricity of these people passes belief, end quote. Ouch. The quote from the Times continues, Harris's frustration with the Stonewalling exacerbated a chronic stomach disorder. Oh, no. Yeah. Apparently he was pretty, he was in a lot of poor health while he was in Japan.
0: I mean, that kind of makes sense because... Like whenever you go to a foreign country and eat their food and drink their water and you like your, your immune system is acclimated to whatever trash is in your environment. Mm-hmm. So when you go and experience somebody else's trash, your body's like, wait, what? <laughs> and then yeah. if you're stressed out and probably have stress ulcers. Yeah.
1: Not a good time. In case he should be incapacitated, he appointed Henry Huskin, his secretary interpreter, as his vice consul quote, I have never been so ill for seven years as I am today, end quote. He notes on March 15th, quote, vomited a quantity of fresh blood, end quote. Yeah, that's some ulcers
0: and probably maybe like parasite or like exacerbation from food poisoning from not... Who knows? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Huskin, who cared for the bedridden Harris, asked a visiting Japanese official to provide a nurse for the consul. The Japanese had no conception of the word nurse. The official interpreted the request as a plea for a romantic interlude. Oh, no. Overjoyed at the prospect of a liaison to bind the stubborn Harris to Shimoda, officials scoured the port for a suitable woman. End quote. Oh, no. And that's where Okichi comes in. Oh no! Yep, Okichi refused to be sold. So the shogunate offered to give her lover Surumatsu the title of samurai if he agreed to separate from her. Because at the time they were engaged. Oh, that's awful. In the end, an officer of the shogunate begged Okichi to perform this service as a duty to her country, oh. which is what finally swayed her. Fuck off! She's yeah. fifteen. Yeah. <sighs> On May 21st, 1857, at the age of 16, she began her service for the consul as a nurse, although the shogunate had misinterpreted her being there as part of a romantic entanglement to keep Townsend busy and to delay the treaty negotiations. Mm -hmm. At this time, Townsend is over 50 years old, but proves to be a kind gentleman who doesn't expect anything sexual to happen between them. Good. But due to his own ignorance of Japanese culture, he mistakenly believes Okichi to be a fallen woman. So he doesn't understand that she's there to be his nurse, and she doesn't understand that she's not there to be a concubine.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: So there's this huge miscommunication going on. (laughs)
0: Oh,
1: God. Okichi only spent three days in the employ of Townsend, but it was enough time for the xenophobia to take root and for her life as geisha to be over. After working for Townsend, she was viewed as a barbarian's wife, even though nothing at all took place between the pair. She lamented that she would no longer be able to fend for herself as no one would hire her. She was called Tojin Okichi and rashamen Okichi, which essentially means foreigner Okichi or barbarian Okichi.
0: That's awful.
1: In essence, it was like a slur against her.
0: And she was told she was doing this to save her country.
1: Yep. But sure. Yep. As a result of this, she submitted a petition to Townsend for compensation. He gave her severance pay that would last her through mid-September, and it was about late May at this time. Okay. He gave her generously, about like little under six months' worth of pay.
0: That's very kind.
1: After the matter with Okichi was settled and Townsend's health improved, he viewed the experience as a stain on his reputation.
0: I bet, because he had no, they both had no idea what was happening.
1: Yeah, they both were completely in the dark. Awful. In 1858, shortly after the treaty had been signed, President Buchanan appointed Townsend as minister to Japan. Makes sense. Townsend soon moved his office to Ito in May of 1859, where he resided in an official capacity at the Zenpukuji Temple for the next three years. Townsend returned to America in 1861 and, for the most part, reported that, quote, The people all appeared clean and well fed, well clad, and happy looking. It is more like the golden age of simplicity and honesty than I have ever seen in any other country. End quote. Nice. Following her very brief time serving Townsend, Okichi jumped from job to job, becoming an alcoholic as a result of her ostracization.
0: That's so sad.
1: From the life she had once loved as a geisha. She eventually left Shimoda and ended up traveling to Yokohama, where she met up once again with Surumatsu in 1868 at the age of 27. Okay. The pair moved back to Shimoda in 1871 where Okichi managed a brothel named Anchuko-ro. The brothel was profitable for a time, but her drinking continued to be a problem. And in 1874, Surumatsu left her. Oh, that's so sad. In 1876, Okichi was able to secure employment at a restaurant named Kaneya in Mishima as a geisha and became a hairdresser two years later in Shimoda at the age of 35, but was okay. soon fired when the disdainful locals refused to go to her. In 1882, Okichi opened a restaurant and rental parlor in Daikumachi named Anairo with the help of a sympathetic former patron. But her poor management and bad drinking habits ended with the business failing almost as soon as it started. Mm. She ended up renting a house in Shimoda where she earned a living teaching shamazin and dancing. And shamazin is the like guitar type instrument. That they would strum with the little triangle looking thing. Yeah, that was my very poor American <laughs> explanation for what <laughs> yeah, the a triangle looking
0: thing. Got it. Got it. Got it.
1: In January of eighteen eighty seven, at the age of forty six, her years of drinking had started to catch up with her. At one point, it was so bad that she was experiencing paralysis on one whole side of her body. Oh man. Okichi had inherited a house in Nitucho from her adoptive family upon her foster mother's death, and she sold the property in order to stay at Yoshina Onsen Hot Springs in hopes of curing her illness. Mm. After a time, she lost everything, and by the age of 49, she was homeless. On May 27, 1892, after years of poor health and despair, Okichi threw herself into the Kadokurikafuchi, a pool of the Inozawa River, where she drowned.
0: Oh,
1: she was 51.
0: That's so sad.
1: Adding insult to her already tragic life, no one came forward to claim her body. Ultimately, a chief priest of the Hofukiji Temple, named Saint Daizo, carried her body back and interred it as an act of mercy. Townsend Harris died on February 25, 1878, in New York City, and was buried in Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn. Regardless of the fact that our presence in Japan started essentially as an act of aggression— Mm -hmm. Townsend Harris's presence there as America's first diplomat is one that lives on warmly in Japan's collective memory. Monuments and memorials mark the places he once stayed during his time there, and the temple where the treaty was signed is now a museum in his honor.
0: That's nice.
1: As for Okichi, during the Taisho era in the early 20th century, actress Yeko Mizutani had Okichi's grave built at Hofukuji Temple and also had Surumatsu's grave placed alongside hers so they could be reunited in heaven. Hmm. And this actress actually played Okichi in a movie. Okay. So she, that's why she had like a, a connection to her.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Any sort of quote unquote romantic entanglements that Townsend and Okichi were said to have indulged in have spawned into a sort of pop culture love affair, spawning plays, songs, books, and movies, both here in the United States and in Japan. The most famous of which is The Barbarian and the Geisha, starring John Wayne as Townsend Harris. <sighs> Perfect. Yeah. And that is the story of Okichi, the tragic geisha, and Townsend Harris.
0: I'm so frustrated that she had, they both went into this one thing being like well-renowned people and she, she left it. It was three days of her life Mm -hmm. and it just ruined everything. Yep. So awful.
1: Where's her museum? She does have a museum. Good. There is a museum dedicated to her. It's at the Hokufushi Temple. Good. Where she's buried.
2: It's estimated that at any given time, there are up to 90,000 missing persons. And that's just in the United States. Imagine if your loved one went missing. Is there anything that you wouldn't do to try and find them? This is Missing Persons, and I'm your co-host, Mike Morford. In every episode of Missing Persons, you'll hear about a person who disappeared and currently remains missing, as well as the efforts to find them. In some cases, there are clues to follow and leads to check on. In other cases, it's as if the person just vanished off the face of the earth. In each episode you'll hear from someone that's desperately searching for that missing person and whether they've been looking for 30 days or 30 years the struggle to find answers is real will you join us and become part of the search for answers in these cases if so search for and subscribe to missing persons wherever you listen to podcasts there are dozens of episodes available to binge on right now and new episodes come out every other saturday
1: All right. This week's podcast plug is the Missing Persons Podcast from Abjack Entertainment. At any given time, there are 90,000 missing persons, and that's just in the United States.
0: Fun. How many of that are actually in national parks? Like 87,000?
1: Probably. (laughs) This podcast explores some of these cases, so it kind of goes through some of the missing cases. Yeah. And since there's 90,000 at any given time, I'm sure they're never going to run out of content, unfortunately. Well, if that's just in the U.S., they're good. Yeah. And this week's listener question comes from our friend Tom. And he asks, there is a bug on your hand. Which bug is the worst and who freaks out more?
0: It's going to be me who freaks out more because I was afraid of ladybugs as a kid. Mm -hmm. I hated any and all bugs. I don't know if you guys have heard that one podcast, I don't know which number it is, but when the carpenter ant fell on my shoulder, (laughs) um, I think that's an indication of of how I would react. Typically, if it's on my hand, I flick it off. Like I look Mm -hmm. at it, panic, flick it off, and then I scream. Yeah.
1: I really don't like bugs that have more than eight legs. So if like, Ooh, like a centipede or a millipede was on me, I would probably lose my goddamn mind and I, mm-hmm. I would probably throw up. <laughs> yeah. I would flick it off and then I would probably promptly throw up and start crying.
0: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and then proceed to set whatever location she
1: was on fire. Exactly. Yeah. So what's something good you'd like to share this week?
0: <sighs> something good this week... I'm I'm getting ready to move, which is like exciting and also stressful. But one of the things that my boyfriend and I really enjoy doing is we meet in between our two towns for bingo on Tuesday nights mm-hmm. as like mm-hmm. a date night. And so um, we skipped the previous week because the guy, the server we really like said, told us he was going on vacation. We were like, well, fuck that. We don't want to go if he's not
1: there. Yeah.
0: So we went back and then um, we told him that this coming week is going to be like our last Tuesday because it's just, it's too far for us to go after we move. And he was like, well, you know, I hope hope you guys come back sometime. He's like, it's really nice having you guys. Have a nice life. And it was just one of those like, it's one of those moments where you don't realize the effect you have. But like being consistent in such a small setting. Cause like mm-hmm. he's super busy, so we don't get to really talk to him and he doesn't really get to talk to us, but like, we like him enough to skip bingo. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not there, And like, he was kind enough to try to learn more about us. So that was my something good. It was just kind of those, those mini interactions are always so strange. Like when you become a regular at a restaurant or something, you know,
1: mm-hmm. what about you? I would say my something good is obviously getting my office set up and almost done. Mm-hmm. But I did say that I would keep up with my Noom updates. Oh, yeah. And even though it is hard, I've been doing very well. Good. Right now, I have a calorie allowance of 1,200 calories, which doesn't sound like a lot, but I've been learning what foods I can eat that will fill me up because they're mm-hmm. mostly water. So I haven't necessarily been hungry when like after I'm done eating, like, nice. I'll eat a meal and be fine. As of this recording, I am down seven pounds.
0: Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank
1: you. I haven't integrated any sort of like heavy exercise routine to the, my diet, but I've been going on like longer walks.
0: I'd wait until you have more of a a, a larger calorie allowance to 1200 calories and a really strenuous workout. They don't mix well. You'd have to have Mm-mm. more.
1: So, yep, that's it. Cool. Shall we? We do. Uh, you can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We're on YouTube if you'd like to enjoy our podcast that way. Mm-hmm. We have a PO box. You can write to us at yieldcrimepodcast PO box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota 55092. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We have received tons of questions, which I'm very excited That's about. That's
0: awesome. Thank you, guys.
1: So we have lots of questions that we can go through. Over the next several episodes. But that's not the only reason you can email us. If you're interested in submitting episode suggestions, please feel free to do so. A great way to support the show, if you can't support it financially, is to leave us a five star rating and review, which you can do on Apple Podcasts, Pod Chaser, and you can also do it on Good Pods. Mm-hmm. And this week's a uh, review was from Apple Podcasts, and it's from our friends, the Unsolved Mysteries Solved podcast. Okay. And they say, fantastic sisterly duo. Five stars. <laughs> Lindsay and Madison are really great together. You would think that being sisters, they would automatically have chemistry, and they do, but that's not always the case. That's why it was so awesome to listen to them talk about random true crime topics from the way back when. I truly enjoyed the Terror of the South China Seas episode. So yeah. good. Good one. Not enough praise or recommendation in the world to do these two justice. Listen and find out for yourself.
0: Thank you. That was really kind. Yes. And that was. also was like a really well done episode.
1: Good on you, Lindsay. Thanks. I really
0: liked that one. Very well researched.
1: If you are able to and would like to help us financially, you can do so on buy me a coffee and leave a one time donation. There is also an option to leave a donation on good pods. So if you follow us on good pods, there's a new feature called tip jar where you can. Mm give us a one-time donation and that actually redirects you to our buy me a coffee account. So cool. That's an easy way for you to give us a donation. If you listen on good pods, you can also support us on a monthly basis for as low as a dollar a month by joining our Patreon. And you can join fellow awesome people like Julene, Aaron, and Kara. Hey girls. Hey, Hey, you can also rep us with some merch. By going on our Tee Public store. I don't know what the sales are yet for the month of September, but...
0: You'll find out.
1: You'll find out. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay.
0: And I'm Madison.
1: And we'll see you next time with another tale... As old as crime.